Hello and welcome to another episode of The Mayor On Air. I am the Mayor James Hinchcliffe, and today we've got something special for you guys on a couple different levels. The big reason why this is a special episode is because for the first time, uh, we have the privilege of having a team owner join us. Now, I mean, he's a driver as well, but currently a team owner. And I'd like to welcome Brian Hurd to the show. Brian Hurd, welcome. Wow, first team owner yes. on the show. Uh, first team owner. I'm honored. I'm honored. I, you know, people ask me what's the difference between being a team owner and a driver, and uh, I say it's still all about managing risk. But when you're a driver, the risk is all physical. When you're a team owner, the risk is all financial. <laughs> it's it's not much less stressful though. I'll tell you. <laughs> well, I mean, which do you enjoy more? Driving is better. Driving is so better. Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure. I, I love I love what I love what I'm doing now, but <laughs> driving is. I, I wish I wish I could turn the clock back a few years. <laughs> Different kind of stress, but one you don't mind. Uh, well, man, thanks for joining us uh, on the Mariner XM two hundred nine Sirius two twelve. Uh, segment one here. We I just want to talk IndyCar racing a little bit with you, man. I mean, it's been uh, it's been a crazy couple weeks. Coming off Fontana, we're here in Milwaukee now, but let's touch uh, touch on Fontana a little bit. Obviously, not the greatest day for you guys. Problems before the start, right? Yeah, we had a we had a radio problem on Gabby's car, and somehow in the uh, in the rush to try and fix it on the grid, there uh, the radio got pulled, and actually we tore the wires apart on the radio. So we spent the first 15 minutes of the race rewiring the radio system in the car while everybody else was racing. So by the time we got going, it was really more a case of we couldn't do much in terms of results, uh, but Gabby's a rookie this year, and it was important that he get out there and race and, and compete the, complete the miles. That's one of the big goals for us this year with him is to get miles in. And, and so we did. We ran around pretty much. We kept him out of all the pack and all the mess and and he, he got to watch a lot of it from half a straightaway back. He probably learned a lot actually being back there anyway. It was tough because he wanted to get in there and get engaged and learn and, and, and mix it up but uh, you know I guess being a guy who's been there done that you know I know that when you're 15 laps down you know the right thing to do is to let the guys who are in the race do their race. And also, you know, you talk about mitigating risk, right? I mean, if the, the way that race was developing, the chance of being caught up in somebody else's, man, it doesn't have to be your accident or your mistake. You can still induce a lot of damage to a car because of someone else being dumb. Well, that's it. That's it. And that, I think that's a, that's why we saw some of the reactions we saw is because that's part and parcel of that kind of racing. I think every driver gets in the car knowing the risk that they're taking and, and accepting all that. Uh, the hard thing with that kind of racing is that you can do absolutely nothing wrong. Uh, as we saw with Ryan Briscoe in your car, uh, you can just be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and next thing you know, you're you know you're in the middle of something that you didn't uh, didn't expect. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's nature of the beast of that racing. But now we move forward. We're here at the famed Milwaukee Mile, oldest racetrack in the country. You can probably hear the PA going in the background because you know we've got a super high tech studio here, obviously that uh, that has that bleed over. I'm giving Buzzkill Brian some uh, dirty looks <laughs> for the shoddy location on this one. Thanks a lot, Brian. But uh, here at Milwaukee, obviously a track that you race on a lot, uh, Indy Lights, Indy Car. What do, you, what do you think about Milwaukee? Tell me about Milwaukee. I love this place. I, I just, I love the history here. Uh, this was the site of my second Indy Car race. I, I was able, fortunate enough to win, uh, win an Indy Lights race here. <clears throat> Ran here in... Uh, that was the year you won the championship. <clears throat> the year I won the championship, 93. And I came back here uh, with AJ Foyt. My first race with AJ uh, in an Indy Car was 94 Indy 500. And so then 
this was always historically the place we came right after Indy. So this was my second race. And uh, <clears throat> you know, I'll never forget, I spent the first part of that year as a test driver for Newman Haas. And they had, they had uh, Mario Andretti and Nigel Mance were their drivers. So you can imagine what a great thrill that was to, to be a test driver <clears throat> watching and learning from those guys. But we got to this race and I qualified seventh. And Mario was having a tough day. And I'm actually, I, I was running seventh in the race, and I come up to lap Mario. <laughs> I'm going to lap Mario Andretti. Not something you get to say a whole lot. Right. And, uh, and I come up on him, and he starts chopping. He's taking the nose off my car. <clears throat> it was very much a, you know, hey, kid, you, you know, you're going to have to earn some respect here. And, <clears throat> you know, you're not going to, you're not going to lap me. So I spent several laps stuck behind Mario with A.J. Foyt screaming in my ear to either pass him or take him out immediately or I'd be fired. That's weird. A.J. doesn't seem like the screaming type. That's, <laughs> oh, that's yeah. very, seems like a character. Every lap was worse. And finally, <laughs> finally, he came on the radio. He said, you better be in the fence or past him next time you come out of four. And luckily, I just, I just managed to get by on that lap. <laughs> And so I was able to keep my job for another one, for another week. But uh, this it's just one of the things that always sticks with me. Every time I come back, I remember that story. Hey, so the problem with AJ is you, you believe that threat. That's the problem, right? I mean, yeah. And it, you know, when you're when you're just come into this, I mean, you know, Mario Andretti, AJ Foyt, these guys are heroes growing up. And this is my second IndyCar race. You're still trying to figure it all out. And now you're thrust into this thing where you're stuck behind between two legends, yeah. trying while you're trying to drive the car, and uh, it was it was very. I, I'm grateful now because I got great stories, and and I've laughed about it with both of them over the years for sure. Good. And we're we're gonna get into some more of those stories in the second segment. Before we get to that, though, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the race this weekend. Obviously, you know, Gabby's as you said, a rookie coming to Milwaukee in an Indy car for the first time. He's raced here in lights. What do you think the prospects are this weekend? New Aero kids. I mean, there's a lot going on. I, I understand that. Uh, if, if, if Mike didn't pick up, that was a long sigh. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to expect. I mean, that's the thing. Every week, I don't know what to expect. Uh, you know, the Aero kit's new, uh, and we've struggled. I'll tell you, our particular struggle this year has been qualifying. We haven't qualified where we need to. We've generally raced really well. Gabby's done a really good job. Yeah, the pace of the races have been good. Gabby's race pace has been phenomenal. The, the qualifying thing is something that we've yet to unlock the key between getting the most out of the tires on that one lap or two laps and getting the aero kit and the trim level and everything right for qualifying has not been something we've been as good as we need to be at this year. And some tracks it doesn't matter too much. This is a track I think it does matter because it's it's easy to get behind early here. For sure. It's hard it strings out and it's hard to catch up. So you know, my real hope and my real focus is gonna be to try and get Gabby further up the grid because generally in the race, once the race starts uh, we race really well. Gabby's really been competitive, uh, but we need to get him up there earlier in the race than we have. Not a, not an easy place to come to and say qualifying is what we have to nail this weekend. 
<clears throat> I know, and, I, and I'm of two minds because, you know, the, like, we talked about managing the risk and the financial risk. And, <clears throat> you know, this is a place that's really easy, especially in qualifying when you're really hanging it out. It's really easy to get it wrong and, and, and have a big consequence. And this year's unique. We've got qualifying. It's just a few hours before the race. For sure. <clears throat> so, you know, you kind of balance how big a risk do you take on the setup? How big a risk does the driver take? Because if you have a problem, you may not even make the race. You know, there's no guarantee you'll be able to fix a problem in time for the race. So that's, it's uh, all the things that we kind of talk about and consider as we plan out our weekend. And then we, and then when it all goes to hell, we try to figure it out from there. <laughs> you got a plan B. All right, we got to grab a quick, quick break. Uh, do you have a song choice, something to look for everybody to listen to in between segments here? Oh, boy. Uh, I'm, I'm just off the top of my head, I'm going to say uh, Violent Femmes, Blister in the Sun. There you go. We're going to do that. We're going to be back here at the Milwaukee Mile more with uh, Brian Herta right after this. This is the Mayor on Air. song choice from Mr. Brian Herta here, uh, Mayor on Air, XM209, Sirius 212, but of course, if you're listening to this, you probably already knew that. Uh, we are here at the Milwaukee Mile, obviously a very famous racetrack, and we're here with a very famous guy who had a very successful career in racing, and you know, we, we did a bit of research before the show, Brian, I mean, I, I knew a fair amount about you anyway, I watched you growing up, you know, not to... I don't mean to say that in a bad way, but um, yeah, <laughs> Dario. Dario always gets really upset when I say that. I, I will take it in the in the in the most positive. The way manner possible. in which it was meant. The manner in which it was meant. But man, you had a hell of a career. You drove for a lot of very good teams, won a bunch of races. How, how would you sum up your IndyCar career? Uh, it's interesting because I, I don't know. Like, I, obviously, I haven't driven an IndyCar since 2006, so it's been nine years now. But I haven't ever, in my mind, retired. Um, I don't see myself doing it again, but I, I think I also haven't really fully closed that chapter where I, I'm willing to say, oh, I may not drive or I, I might drive something again. I don't, probably not at an IndyCar level, but I think because of that, I, I don't picture myself as retired I haven't been really very retrospective in, yeah. in any of it you know yeah. like you haven't reflected know, on the whole thing no and no I, I have I'm, it's I'm an ongoing story I'm, I'm really proud I feel humbled and privileged to get to do this for as long as I did and it, all the experiences I had and the friendships and all the places I got to travel uh, and, and like you said I got to work with some of the very very best in the sport and I, I feel grateful all those experiences kind of shaped me and I think it's it's kind of steered me towards the team owner I am now. I tried to learn from everywhere I was and, and kind of roll some of that into it, but I feel like I'm still in it, so I'm not, 
you know, I've never been a look backwards kind of guy anyways. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, normally here in segment two, we'll do something goofy with the guy. We'll make fun of where they come from and play some weird game. But frankly, I think you've got too many cool stories. And we, we've got some, like, nice diehard fans that listen to the Mariner, and I think they're going to like to hear some of these things. I'm going to touch back on something you brought up. You talked about being a test driver at Newman Haas when Mario and, uh, and Nigel were driving there. I mean, the absolute heyday of Newman Haas. That must have been just, I mean, as a driver, I'm nerding out just hearing about that. What, what was the funniest encounter between those two that you ever witnessed? Because I gather they weren't the best of friends. They weren't. And they, re- they, rarely, they rarely spoke. They, 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 you know, they had massive respect for each other. Like, that was obvious. Like, they were never disrespectful of the other guy or the other guy's driving. But they just didn't like each other. And frankly, you know, Mario didn't like me much at the time because he was at the end of his career. Right, you were the up and comer, and I was I was clearly there to try and right. get, get his seat, and and he knew that. So, you know, he was always cool. Not he was never uh, anything but uh, respectful. Uh, but I've had the privilege to become very close with the Andretti family, and and we've joked about about it. You know, later on, and you know, Mars. Yeah, yeah, I didn't like you being there. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I like that he could admit it, though, even but after the fact. The, the 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 thing that struck me about Mario, and I just feel so lucky to have been to watch him work the way he did, is that guy's passion. And remember, this was at the very end of his career. He was older then than I am now. He was still racing for another seven years. I think he was 52 years old, and. His passion and his dedication, when he was testing, he he got in the car early. He never got out of the car. They had to get him out of the car. He sat in it all day long. Unless they told him, Mario, get out, we're going to make a change. He stayed in the car. And he ran until the dying light of the day. And every single lap was with 100% commitment. And I just... I don't think that many people could could understand the passion he had without seeing him in that kind of environment where it, For it's sure. a test day. And then you contrast that with Nigel, who had his own very different approach. But Nigel would just show up at the test day, get in, keep cranking front wing in the thing until it got too loose, <clears throat> lay down a lap time. And once he, once he went fast enough where he thought, okay, I'm fast enough, He'd, he'd check bug, out. He'd bugger off and leave. So I was there as the test driver. When when it was a Mario test day, I never got in the car, and I knew I never would. But I'd quite often get in the car when because Nigel sometimes at 2 or 3 in the afternoon, you, yeah. knew, you knew the test for Nigel was almost done when the pilots showed up. <laughs> His pilots would show up in uniform, and you knew he's going to be gone in the next 20 minutes. And so that was my cue to start suiting up, and then I might get an hour or two running at the end of the day. So funny. it was really cool. Now, you mentioned getting to know the Andretti family. Obviously, that would have come from your stint driving you know, with Michael and, and on that team, something that we both had the chance to do. What was that experience like, being on that big four-car super team? That, a different dynamic. You have young guys, you have guys in the middle of career, guys near the end of the career. It was a little bit of everything there. Well, you know, I, my, my relationship with Michael, we became friends when we were racing together when he was at Newman Haas. Uh, it was kind of unique because Michael, at that time, he didn't have a lot of friends racers. Right. He didn't... He didn't uh, socialize with the other drivers you know he was just he, focused. He, he was just doing his thing uh, we became friends and we sent, hung out together and we vacationed together and I, I don't know if it was that or you know what it was but when 
when Dario was good enough to fall off his motorcycle and break <laughs> his back uh, and create an opportunity. Very kind of him. Yeah. I mean, Very selfless act, really. It, it really was. And Dario's that kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> but he... Uh, Michael called me, and it was just going to be like a two or three race gig. And I think just because of the familiarity, we knew each other, I was experienced. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like, all right, we'll just plug Brian in for a couple races, and then Dario will be back. And then lo and behold, Dario's back ended up being a lot worse than they thought. And I got the rest of the season out of it, and it went really well. And the chemistry was great. And at the end of the year, then we all knew Dario was coming back, and I was in Dario's car. So that was, you know... I knew that that wasn't an option. Awkward. <laughs> right. <clears throat> I mean, I mean, you're you're living a similar situation. For sure. <clears throat> and you know, and Ryan Briscoe's comments I've heard. You know, I, I was the same way with Dario. Is <clears throat> like, you know, that you're you're just you're just keeping that car for the guy, right? It's it's not your car. <clears throat> but at the end of the year, it went so well that uh, Honda and Andretti they they put a deal together to add a fourth car and, and keep me. So that started kind of the four car four amigos kind of thing and it was without a doubt by far the most fun i ever had in my career and i think it was because prior to that i thought my open wheel career was probably done i'd already started transitioning into sports cars i was yep. driving for panos and i thought probably open wheel is done for me and then all of a sudden this door you know swung open and I looked at it differently. I didn't go in putting pressure on myself. I had a very specific role in the team. I was the more experienced guy. I worked a lot on setup. I was there to mentor Dan and Tony to a certain extent. And uh, so I, I had a really specific role and I really reveled in that. And I think it was because it, it was like a second career, you know, and, and I appreciated it so much more because of that. And then the success we had and the fun we had, uh, you know, I don't think you could ever really recreate that. And you, I mean, you talk about you talk about that time. You talk about all the fun and you know, mentoring a couple guys that ended up being champions and any 500 winners. That's got to have some some satisfaction. But I, I need to know. You guys were famous for it. That you know, the the you Dario, Dan, and Tony for all the pranks. What's the one that you can t actually tell us about <laughs> that was your favorite? <clears throat> My. My, my favorite truly was one that uh, that Dario pulled on TK and Dan and I was just I was just a witness I was a bystander on this one but um, TK had a live interview Jill was doing a live spot with him from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and TK had a $20,000 road bike carbon fiber beautiful thing so Dan and Dario rolled it up and they were right behind the camera and Dario produces a hacksaw and starts waving it and Tony's trying to do his interview and Jill's in on it so he he just keeps peppering him with questions and hitting him and Tony can't focus at all and 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 Dario pulls out this hacksaw and he starts cutting and he's cutting <laughs> the carbon fiber and they cut the whole bike in half right in front of Tony holding it up in front of him behind the camera and he, he tried to hold it together and then I, I remember dropping the bike and we all ran out of the studio before the interview yeah, was over yeah for sure I mean Tony's a bit of a fitness freak I imagine yeah, he didn't no, take no. Uh, too kindly to chopping his bike I, in half I, 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 I think Dario felt bad enough he actually ended up buying him a new, <laughs> bought him a new frame so it sort of backfired on him in a sense There's so many, uh, there was a, a million little things though. yeah you know it was 
silly little stuff like you know literally like a uh, uh, pie in the face we did that all the time we all like <clears throat> i don't know what the pie budget was the year we were there <laughs> but we were forever asking asking people to run to the store and buy pies for us and we were forever just any any reason oh it's tuesday i'm gonna get tony with a pie in the face <clears throat> it, it was just kind of a I can't, I can't describe it and do it for justice. Sure. For sure. All right, real quick, uh, before we gotta go to the next break, what was your favorite pie to throw in somebody's face? <clears throat> oh, like a lemon meringue or a cream. Lemon Any, meringue. Anything with a lot of cream. Something messy. Perfect. Yeah. Do we have another song that we can throw to commercial with? Uh, okay, in honor of New Order's new album coming out, I'm going to go with New Order Blue Monday. There you go. Blue Monday. That's Brian Hurdle here the Mayor on Air, Sirius 212, XM 209. We're back to the Mayor on Air. I am the Mayor James Hinchcliffe, back with more from the Milwaukee Mile and Mr. Brian Herta, first team owner we've had on the show. Thanks again for being part of it. Now, normally in segment three, again, you're hearing this a lot, normally we do X. <laughs> we're kind of throwing the format out the window because we're just having so much fun hearing about everything that you've got to say. You've got way more stories than any of those boring hacks we've had on so far. Your <laughs> Scott Dixons and your Hunter Rays and Elliot. I mean, these guys, a- amateurs, amateurs compared to what you're producing, and we love it. <laughs> so I want to keep going with a little bit more uh, of the history there, some of the things that you've been through. I'd trade them a few of my stories for a few of their trophies. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. We'll see, we'll see what we can do. We'll see if we can organize that. Um, you, you've worked with a couple Canadians in your day. Uh, most recently, you've actually had Alex Tagliani drive for you. Yes. I want to know a little bit about what Tag is like as a driver. You were his teammate at one point? No. Forsyth? No. <clears throat> no, no, never never teammates with him. I drove for Jerry Forsyth, it, but it was a satellite operation when he was in the players program. Okay, okay. So it wasn't a direct... Shop. No, we never had any... We didn't work together at all. Okay, so you didn't have that going into the to the driver-team-owner dynamic. Right. How was Tag as a driver? I mean, he's a, he's a friend of mine. He's a countryman. I would love to get the inside scoop on what it was really like working with Alex Tagliani. <clears throat> uh, maddening. <laughs> Mad, <laughs> maddening, it, 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 brother. It, yeah, you can't not love Alex Tagliani. I completely agree, one hundred percent. I mean, the guy is a hundred percent emotion. He wears his emotion on his sleeve, and you know where you're at with him every second of every day. He he lives and breathes for this. I mean, he's so passionate. He's very dedicated to what he does, and so. You know, he's just one of those guys, and the only other guy that 
I really ever worked with in racing that I could compare him to is Max Pappas. Yeah, he was I could very see that. emotional, <clears throat> like that too. And it, I mean, it's good and bad. I mean, his, the enthusiasm, the passion, the dedication—you love all that stuff. Sometimes it's a little too much. <laughs> Sometimes a little too much. Got a little carried away. Was he but, vocal on the radio? No, not on the not on the rate, not what you would think. Okay, he wasn't going crazy generally on the radio. Every you know, every once in a while, he'd he'd have a little have to blow off a little steam. But we, we all we, do that. We all do that, right? So, uh, you know, it was it was fun. Uh, I think it got it got stale kind of quick for us because the first year went really well, probably exceeded everybody's expectations. Uh, of what they expected from him, what they expected of us as a team, uh, and then the second year became tough because I think I think he and maybe us and everybody went in the the second year with even higher expectations. Right. When those started not happening, the wheels kind of fell off the bus kind of quick there, and that became difficult. Uh, but I still love the guy to death, and and uh, still have huge respect for what he brings in terms of talent and and what he brings in terms and of passion and passion for sure. I mean, he's he he's a guy. He'll be racing, you know. Our he'll race our kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he'll he'll be racing our kids because he's gonna be like Mario. He loves it so much. I can't imagine him ever as long as he's able to put that helmet on. He's gonna keep doing it for sure. For sure. Now I'm gonna bring up something. Only because I know I would get blasted if I didn't, and I, and I don't know if it's a sore subject or not. I'm not sure. <laughs> but the pass, the pass, the pass. Now, well, let me tell you, I was watching that race on TV, and I was cheering for you. Mm-hmm. I, I was, appreciate that. I was thrilled. I'm, I'm, I'm being 100% genuine here. And when that happened, I said, laughing, four wheels off the track. Brian's got it. No <laughs> problem. I was furious at that moment. What were you thinking at that moment? <laughs> Honestly, I think I was in a little bit of shell shock. I was, I was a little shell shocked. I didn't expect it. Uh, and then when, if you watch the replay, when he, when he's, when he dove up the inside, I started turning in, and my intention was I'm going to turn in no matter what. <clears throat> but at the last second, I remember thinking he's not going to make it. So I, if you watch the replay, you can actually see me start to turn in and then straighten the turn wheel. Out, yeah. <clears throat> and I thought he's going to go sailing by off the track and then I'll continue, which kind of happened, <clears throat> except as he went sailing by, he bounced down the hill and came back out onto the track in front of me. <clears throat> and the rest is history. So uh, <clears throat> now it's not a sore subject. <clears throat> you know, I mean, it, at the time it wasn't very fun. It wasn't very fun because that would have been my first IndyCar win. Right. I mean, and, and you, so you put I lost. Ex, you, put, well, you put an exclamation point on it in the next two years by winning that race. So it's <clears throat> yeah. But what sucked about it was it was the last race of the year. Right. <clears throat> so like I had to kind of chew on it all winter long. Right. <laughs> you know that was that was the end of my season, and that's what I had. But I think I think it pushed me harder. I mean, I, I think I worked out harder and, and was more focused through that winter and into the next season because of that. Because I I didn't want that to happen again <clears throat> but i mean the good thing was it was it was great for the sport it was controversial <clears throat> i mean clearly i'm gonna have the opinion that yes he went off track for wheels the rule. like i just <clears throat> i just couldn't and, understand it and and i i still have never put chris Nifel back who was the chief steward at the time and put him back on my christmas card <laughs> uh, <clears throat> frankly I, I don't know why the team didn't argue it for me uh but they didn't they didn't argue it <clears throat> but 
nonetheless, everything that's, uh, you know, when the time kind of changes perspectives on things. <clears throat> like you said, one of, the greatest, one of the greatest things was I was able to come back the next year. <clears throat> and I'll tell you, do we have time for a quick story? Let's hear it. So practice. Uh, it's the end of practice, uh, first practice session. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm coming up to turn seven. I'm going up the hill. And I've already taken the checkered flag. <clears throat> Yellow flag's waving. And Zanardi ends up in my mirror, <laughs> right? And it was just like this unspoken thing. <clears throat> and I just got on the gas, and he jumped on the gas too. This is after the checkered. <clears throat> and and he, we came up to the corkscrew. <clears throat> Don't tell me lo- he looked. Locked up. Oh no no. <clears throat> locked up. Came up the inside on the brakes. <clears throat> I turned in. Hit him. <laughs> took the took the right rear corner off his car, the left front corner off my car, <clears throat> and we both we, we kind of limped down the hill into the pit lane. We got called the chief stewards. We both got penalized, uh, <clears throat> but it was the first time we had really talked after that. So it was almost a year on from the incident, and we talked and we joked. <clears throat> and probably one of my proudest moments was then being able to win the race the next day. And it was Zanardi again who was chasing me and, and pressuring me the whole way. <clears throat> and, you know, knowing that he was at the top of his game at that point uh, and to be able to kind of come back and, and beat him on that track in similar circumstances a lot the next year was it was good validation for me. A lot of people don't know about the practice that, thing. I had not, that's a great story. <laughs> yeah. Man. I absolutely love After that. After the checkered flag. That's just great. We got yelled at. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> so, we're like kids. We're just laughing because we both, like, I don't know what, what spurred me, but we didn't, like, we both just knew. Just like, knew. the end of my mirror, we just yeah. knew. Okay, it's on right now. It's on. <laughs> doesn't matter that it's a checkered flag. doesn't matter it's practice. It's on. That's just awesome, man. That's great. Well, look, normally, again, I'm saying it again. In this segment, we go to something. We try and trick you into answering fan tweets. Whatever. I'm not, I'm not going to bother you with all that, but we did ask the fans to send questions in, and I feel like I would be letting them down if we didn't give at least one. Okay. So, the one and only... Twitter question from all the ones that we got, and we got we got a bunch. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> awkward pause. Awkward pause. Yeah, come up a little bit. All right, this one's kind of a two-part question. We'll cut it down to one because it's a topic I wanted to touch on anyway. How proud are you, your son Colton? He's over in Europe right now, trying to get his racing career going. How proud are you? That how cool is it now being on the other side of that? Oh, it, it's amazing. Uh, I've learned great um, respect for my father now. Because <clears throat> if, if people ask me, what's the toughest job in the pit lane? I'll tell you, it's dad. Yeah. <clears throat> the hardest thing in the world is, it, it may be harder for me because I've lived it and done it, to, to have to sit back and watch him <clears throat> go through all the struggles and things you do as a young driver uh, and know that I can't help him you know, I can I can help create opportunities. I can help him in certain ways. I can help give him advice, but he doesn't really want to hear it too much from me. It's <laughs> <laughs> weird. Teenagers aren't like that, right? <clears throat> but um, to have to watch him go through the struggle, it's a great sense of pride, but also uh, very difficult uh, to you know know things and and want 
you know, wanted, want him to know why doesn't he understand everything that I spent a 25-year career learning? Why doesn't he know that already? Yeah. You know, so, <clears throat> but he's doing great over there. And, uh, yeah, I hope very much he'll come back in the next year or two. He's learning a lot right now over there and I think it's a great show of dedication on his part he's willing to move halfway around the world by himself he's 15 he's living with a family he never met he doesn't know anybody over there and he's he's 100% dedicated to uh, to this craft and to getting better well that's awesome man I think uh, a lot of IndyCar fans out there are happy to know that there's another another herd of carrying the torch and uh, and carrying on the legacy Brian I want to thank you so much for coming on really really appreciate it. like I said first team owner you've kind of broken the ice there hopefully we'll get some more on but you should get Chip next. I, I might ask Chip. <laughs> I might ask Chip. We, we're going to need a dump button, the bleep button, if Chip comes on. But we'll, we'll go for it. But again, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Brian Herta. This is the Mayor on Air, XM209, Series 212. Thanks for listening.